turning to Hebrews, um, we're, we're doing a study on Wednesday nights through the book of Hebrews, just taking our time and going through it. And we finished through chapter 2, verse 8 last week. And there's a couple of different themes in the book of Hebrews. And, and one of them that we've been stressing is that Jesus Christ is better, that everything in Jesus is better. And, you know, we actually have it, you know, for Chris and Maria and some of y'all, if we have them uh, taped, it may not be the best quality, but if you want to go back and listen to them, we've got them on, you know, we can send them to you and, and take notes. We're just going to take our time and go through the book of Hebrews, however long it takes. And uh, the, the, it was written by, a lot of people think Paul, I think it was Paul, but again, it doesn't matter. It was written by the Lord, we know that. It was written to believers, Jewish believers in Paul's day that were greatly uh, uh, persecuted and probably feeling very discouraged. They're, they're being persecuted by the, the world, the Roman world of the day, and they're being persecuted by their Jewish, in the natural sense, their Jewish brothers and sisters because they were, they were now Christians and the Jews rejected Christ. And so they were, they were, there was a temptation, I'm sure, to go back. Just, it's not worth it, let's just go back and uh, you know quit the fight let's just sort of go back in get our families back get the schools back the, everything in life get it back and and Paul or whoever's writing this book was admonishing them no you keep on what would you go back to there's nothing to go back to the Lord saved you he brought you out of this and so he's going to build a case all through the book of Hebrews that Christ is better Christianity is better than it's a Judaism in the sense that it's a fulfillment of it. The priest, Jesus is a better priest than the Levitical priesthood. Um, the sacrifice of Jesus was a better sacrifice than the blood of bulls, bulls and goats. Everything was better. Those priests would, would live their lives and die and there would have to be another one to come. And he would be a sinner himself that needed to first offer sacrifices for himself and then the sins of the people. And, and so the author is saying, and the Holy Spirit is saying, keep your eyes on the Lord. And so one of the themes is that Jesus is better. And in chapter 1, in the first half of chapter 2, what was, it, what was it that he was compared to? Jesus was better than what? Angels. Angels. And I, I said last week, that might not be something we think a lot about. I don't get up every day and really think a lot about angels. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for them. They're real. And God created them. But from, what, from the studying that I've done in Judaism... Angels were very prominent. They were very important. Whether it's Michael the Archangel or Gabriel, or angels were important. They had a significant place in the lives of Jewish people and Judaism. And so for Jesus to be compared to angels, how much better he is than angels, is again, it's making a case. Why would you go back to Judaism? Why would you want to throw in and give up what you have now? Because what you have is better in every way. And we, we covered this scripture last week, but I'm going to look at one verse and then we're going to move forward. Chapter 2, verse 8. That thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. And that, that little scripture and that, those few verses right before that, we're talking about what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. So in our study, uh, the, what, what the author is talking about here, what the Lord is saying is that 
God has put all things under man's subjection. You know, in the, in the Garden of Eden, when he gave uh, Adam reign and rule, right? And gave him dominion over everything. Every single living creature on the planet was subject to Adam. And whatever he called the animals, that's what they were called and so forth. Well, we lost that. Man lost that dominion when sin entered in, okay? Sin brought a lot of things, not only our separation from God, but it, it had a lot of consequences. You know, man would, would work and, and eat by the sweat of his brow and earn their living by the sweat of their brow and so forth. It brought a lot of curses even into creation. So there's coming a day when all of that's going to be brought back in the right authority, where in the millennial reign, which is something we believe, I think fundamental Christians, and it's taught in the scripture, we believe in the millennium, which is a literal thousand year reign of Christ that's coming upon the earth. It's not uh, a figure of speech and we don't just spiritualize it. We're not doing a study on that tonight but that's what he's talking about. He says but now we see at the end of verse 8, we see, see not yet all things under him. Everything's not in that perfect order. The Lord's going to come and it'll be all under his authority. Literally, he's going to reign and rule with the rod of iron. He's going to literally sit on a throne in Jerusalem, on the throne of David, and he's going to reign this planet, and it's going to be like it's never been before. And we as believers now, that are believers now, are going to reign and rule with the Lord. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. And I believe that's what he's talking about. That day is coming. And so many things about this epistle and so many things about the Bible are speaking about future, their future blessings. We have to hang in there, y'all. This foot's going to heal. You know what I'm saying? Um, th things are not always going to be the way that they are. They're going to be better. They're going to be much better. And you've probably heard it said before, for a lost person, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. It's not going to get better for them. For a saved person, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. It's just going to get better and better for us. But we have to lay hold on that by faith. And by the word of God. So we put, as, as, as we ought to, a preeminence on the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We want to study it, we want to know it, we want to live by it, we want to pray it, we want to trust in it, trust in the word of God and the God of the word. And so we're just going to keep moving tonight. Uh, let's look at verse 9. And, and why don't we just read 9 and 10 for right now. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Alright, we see Jesus. That's what it says, first of all. We, we don't see all the... Uh, Maybe the future things, I don't literally see the millennium. I don't see what a new heaven's going to look like or a new earth or a new Jerusalem. But it says, but now we see Jesus. We see Jesus and that we see him by faith. Even Moses, it says in Hebrews 11, we'll get there in several weeks, that endured by faith that seeing him was invisible. That's how he made it. How did he do it? How did he forsake all the, the, the here and now of Egypt and the riches and the wealth and the comfort and the authority and the power and all that. How did he forsake all that and really hang his hat on something they couldn't see? Because by faith, it says he endured by seeing him who was invisible. 
And that's the same for us right now. And that's the same for these Christian brothers and sisters that are now going on to be with the Lord. That we're being encouraged and admonished in this day. Don't go back. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. And I know you understand this, that Jesus wasn't made, so to speak. This is speaking of his humanity. This is speaking when he came to the earth. He's the eternal son. He has no beginning. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, right? And he's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. And so it's, it's wrong to think or to picture that Jesus just came into existence 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. He came in that physical sense 2,000 years ago. He came as Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Son of Mary, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Yes, he came there in that form 2,000 years ago, but he's always been. So in that sense is how he was made. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. I guess you would say lower in his, in his form. You know what I mean? Angels can fly and angels can appear in different forms and, and translate from one place to another very quickly and, and appear before God and come back down to earth. And in and, and his humanity, Jesus was... 100% man. So he took on the form of a man, which was lower in that sense. He never ceased being God. And don't ever forget that. You know, what is that? Uh, you know, we've talked some about that, that Bethel church in Redding, California, where the, the, the pastor, Bill Johnson, believes that, that Jesus wasn't actually God until he, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And that is not taught, you know, when he's baptized in the Jordan River. That is not taught in Scripture. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. He was 100% God. You know, he, his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. That's when unto us a child is born, a son is given. And his name's going to be the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. He never ceased being God. He didn't stop being God at any point. He's the Son of Man and the Son of God. And he was always that. And so um, people, didn't rec people didn't recognize him in that, as that and so forth. But still, he took on a different form. The Bible says the Word was made flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he was still the Word when he became flesh. I know these are basic things. But y'all, these basic things like this separate what you and I believe from what you know, Jehovah's Witness believe, or Mormons believe, or Muslims believe, or an atheist believes, or, you know, some, somebody else believes, or maybe they're, quote, Christian, but they have some really messed up doctrine. These things are important, and they matter, and we need to be able to understand it, and the Holy Spirit gives us that understanding. But it says that he was made lower for a purpose, for the sufferings of death. So, he was made the way he was made with the human form, so he could die as man for man. Okay, he died as man, still God, but he died as a man, bled and died and gave up the ghost, hung on a cross, right? He died as man for man. And so there was a purpose in it. The Bible says that he might taste death by the grace of God, that he should taste death for every man. And taste simply means to experience it. He experienced death. He didn't just see it. He didn't just imagine what it would be like. He didn't just get wounded and 
and you know get lightheaded he experienced death for all men and that's that's for men y'all that would not come to him that's for you and me that have got, been born again that given our lives to Christ and that's for people that have rejected him and that are going to reject him he, the Bible says he tasted death for every man what he did on the cross and what he experienced on the cross and what he accomplished on the cross was for every man and, and there's not anybody that's an exception to the rule. I mean, he died for Judas Iscariot, you know what I mean? Who he knew was, he was going to betray him. He tasted death for every man. That's why he became a man, and he accomplished that purpose. And uh, again, we are, we're very beyond thankful for what the Lord has done for us. But it says that's by his grace, for it became him. And when it says in verse 10, for it became him, that simply means it was fitting. In other words, it was, it was appropriate. It was, it was right or suitable or fitting is the way that uh, when I looked up the word. It was suitable for him that he should be the captain of our salvation is what he's called here. And bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, that's our salvation, Perfect through sufferings. And uh, I wonder if you would just real quickly look at John, keep your spot there and look at John chapter 12, verse 27. John 12, 27. This is showing that the Lord knew his purpose in coming. His dying on the cross was not an afterthought. His dying on the cross was not plan B. It was God's promise from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord, he was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And so it's, it's maybe revealed to us little by little by the Word of God or somebody witnessing to us. And, the, you know, our eyes start to open spiritually and we see. But the Lord knew all along what his plan would be. It says in verse 27, this is Jesus in the garden when he, uh, his disciples had fallen asleep and he was praying the night before he was going to uh, be crucified. It says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. In other words, he's saying, what am I going to say? Save me from this? This is why I came. This is why I came to this hour. And he understood it. And y'all, there's purposes and plans that God has for your life that might be totally different than, than what God has planned for my life. But we need to embrace, we need to know what it is. The Lord's going to reveal it to us. We're going to lay hold on it. And we're going to need to walk in what God has for us. He's able to do it. And He's able to impart the vision. And He's able to fulfill the vision. And He's able to equip His saints to do it. And I just want to encourage you and ask that you would encourage one another. But it's, when, when, if you're back in, in a, turn back to Hebrews 2, when, it, when Jesus, it says, is made perfect, I don't, uh, don't want you to think that Jesus was ever imperfect. When he says the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering, it simply means that perfect means to be complete or to make an, a full end. And that, that's, that word in King James is used several times. You know, perfect, it means, uh, it means fully complete, to make a full end of. Just like when Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. He's saying, I've completely finished 
what you sent me to do. That was perfected. The work was perfected. Not like Jesus at any point in his life was imperfect or sinless or anything like that. He wasn't. So it's important to understand the meaning of the words. So he made a full end. And the Lord chose for this to happen through his humanity. Through suffering. These sufferings of life that he went through. And I've thought about it. You know, when they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and then hit it with a reed and kind of smashed it into his flesh and into his skull, it hurt him. You know what I mean? As simple as that is, it hurt. He felt the pain like you and I would feel the pain. When he fasted for 40 days and nights up in the wilderness, being tempted of the devil, he, the Bible says afterwards he was hungry. He was hungry. We go half a day without a meal and we're hungry, okay? He fasted 40 days and nights. Afterwards, he was hungry. He had a human body that felt the things that we feel. Uh, when they spat upon him, you know, when they, when they beat him and so forth. He felt these things. This was part of the perfection, part of the completion, part of the fulfilling why he came. You know, Isaiah prophesied 800 years before by his stripes where we were healed. He had to suffer those stripes, you know. And as a sheep before his shear was dumb and he opened out his mouth. And all those things that were prophesied were sufferings. There were physical sufferings that were talked about in Isaiah 53. And you see every one of them fulfilled in Jesus' life and leading up to the cross and dying on the cross. And that's God's plan. That's all he's saying. That the Lord chose... For him to become one of us. To die on the cross and to suffer. And that was to be the completion or the fulfillment of his plan on the cross. The Bible says, for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we may be made the righteousness of God in him. He took all of it upon himself. And then he goes on to say, but we see him now uh, glorified. Okay? In bringing many sons to glory... But it says, we see Jesus a little lower than the angels, but then we see him crowned with glory and honor. And I want to talk about this just for a moment. That is God's plan. If you look at about everything, you know, in the Bible, dealing with, with men or even dealing with Jesus Christ, there's the suffering and then the exaltation. You know what I mean? There's the, there's the valley and then the mountaintop. There's the cross and then the crown. And it's not only that way for Jesus, but it's, it's that way for our lives. The Lord allows us to go through uh, testings and trials and severe tribulations and, and things where we think we're not going to make it. But it doesn't end there. There's going to be the next. There's going to be what God has for us next. And I'm excited about that. But that's always God's way that there's the suffering, the sacrifice, the hardship, the pain, the affliction, and then the exaltation. Look at Joseph in the Old Testament, right? He gets the vision about how one day his brothers and sisters and everybody's going to bow down before him. And he's going to have this place of authority. And he goes from there to being hated by his brothers and sold as a slave to being thrown into prison. He's going down, down, down. And then he's exalted. And made prime minister of Egypt very quickly. And we see that over and over in the Bible. Okay, Moses going from being the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter to being a murderer to fleeing for his life like a fugitive to being a shepherd for 40 years, you know, 
to being the leader of God's people to bring him out of Israel. Standing with boldness before Pharaoh, and then God buries him up on the mountain, you know, out there overlooking the promised land. Uh, we see that, and we see it with Jesus, and we see it in, I'm not going to turn to it, but we can, you know, this, the passage in Philippians 2 where it talks about, let this mind be in you. I quote it a lot because it says that he humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself and became a servant. And because he did that and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross, wherefore? There was the humility, right? There was the servanthood. There was the death. Even the death on the cross. Only common criminals died on the cross. But he humbled himself and became obedient because he was submitted, 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 submitted all the way. As far as it had to go. As the Lord Father wanted him to go. Wherefore? Specifically because of that humility and obedience to the will of God. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus. Now, I know that's unique for the Lord, okay? But it's similar to that in our lives. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. He's going to lift us up. The humility comes first. We just need to be content to be humble, knowing by faith that someday there's an exaltation that's going to come. And we're going to be glorified and we're going to reign and rule with Him like we've talked about. Amen? And that's exciting to look forward to that. It's not always going to be like it is now, y'all. The captain of our salvation simply means uh, He is the author of our salvation. He's that authority. And, and He's bringing us on to where, to where He wants us to be. Let's pick up in verse 11. It says, For both He that are sanctified... I'm sorry, he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, this is simply Jesus Christ identifying with his people. And it be, it's like uh, some wonderful, supernatural, awesome, holy being that God is. Why would he even condescend to identify with sinful men like us? We really are nothing. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And yet he's not ashamed to be called our brothers. Because he that sanctifies, which is the Lord, Jesus Christ, by his grace through faith, he that sanctifies and we that are sanctified have been made one. We're not just saved, but yet he keeps us at arm's length. And I think about that a lot of times in Romans. You know how it talks about... Uh, that the Lord is just and just the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. The Lord doesn't only forgive our sins and pardon them and say, okay, you're forgiven. I'm letting you go. You're free from all the penalties of sin. All that consequence has been removed and you're going to live and you're free now. He does that. But he does more than that. He makes us his sons and daughters. He lets us be part of his family. You know what I mean? And I use the example sometimes about a governor... A governor or president has the right, especially on their departure of office, to pardon whom they will. I mean, they can pardon, pardon murderers. They can pardon, you know, multi-murderers, whatever. But I can promise you that that governor, let's say, pardons somebody that's on death row and says, here's the official piece of paper. You're pardoned. It's as though you never committed the crime. You're free to go. That governor may do that. But that governor is not going to let that man eat supper with him and, you know, spend the night in his house. You know what I mean? 
But think about the Lord. He not only forgives our sins, but he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. I'd be ashamed. I'm ashamed of myself. You know what I mean? The things that I've done, the things that I've thought, even since I've been saved. And yet, yet the Lord's not, because he that sanctifies and they that are sanctified, we're sanctified by the blood of Jesus. He makes us one. We're in Christ. His spirit lives in us. He knows who belongs to him. He's not confused about it. He's glad that we belong to him. He loves us. Okay? And he wants to be with us. And he's working in us to make us like his son. And one day we really will be, y'all. I mean, day by day we are, little by little, becoming more like Jesus. But the Bible tells us one day we really will be like him. When we see him, we'll, we'll be like him. We see him as he is. And that's one of the most wonderful things about heaven is that we won't uh, wrestle with sin or even temptation at all. We won't, not only will we not commit sin anymore, we won't even be tempted with it anymore. It won't be part of the environment. It won't be part of the atmosphere at all. It's going to be awesome. And uh, let's keep reading. He, and he's, this is the couple of scriptures that's talking about how he's not ashamed to be called. And they quoted from the Psalms, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. These are scriptures just talking about there's really something it was a bit of a mystery in the Old Testament, a real church. You know, they had the nation of Israel and so forth. They could be the people of God and please God or disobey God. But to really have a family of God to where a person could actually call God their father, that was new. Okay? And he's kind of foreshadowing it in these psalms that we just, these quotations from the psalms right here. But, uh, and I want to just keep reading a little bit. I think we can finish the end of this chapter tonight verse 14 for as much then as the children that's us are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage and here again, it's talking about Jesus being our representative. It talks about Jesus becoming flesh. It talks about he's not just, uh, again, at arm's length. He became a man. He felt what we feel. And when the Bible says he was, he was tempted, in some of these later verses, well, well I don't want to jump the gun too much. We'll get into that in just a moment. But he's our representative in, in order to die for man's sin, he became a man. That through death he might accomplish a few things. It says here that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now a lot of people that maybe don't know the Lord, or a lot of people that talk about Jesus in some positive way, but they're really not born again, they may give different reasons that, oh, Jesus came to be a teacher. He came to be a this and that. But if you look to the scriptures and say, why did Jesus came? There are a few reasons, and one of them is right here. Jesus, why did you come to the earth, become a man and die on the cross? Because I came to destroy the works of the devil, he would say. Destroy them, okay? That's one thing. He, said, he would say, I came to seek and save the lost. 
And so we need to, again, know what the scriptures say. People say, oh, it came to be a, a rebel and show this new way of living. Those might be some byproducts of, of his coming. You know what I mean? But he came that we might have life, and then we might have it more abundantly. The thief, the devil, came um, to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus came into this earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil does have limited power. He has a lot of power. The devil has a lot of power. The devil can do a lot of things that a human being on our own can't, that we can't do. I'm talking about just on your own. All right, now as a believer, we can do whatever God chooses to do through our lives, whatever he wants to do at that moment. But that Satan has power. He has supernatural power. Uh, in the Antichrist during the during the tri tribulation period, he's going to call down fire from heaven. He's going to give uh, life to this inanimate object, this image of the beast, and it's going to speak on his behalf. He's going to get this incurable kind of wound that looks like it's a wound unto death, and he's going to recover from it during the tribulation period. Satan can do a lot of things. There are lying signs and wonders. So it's a big thing for Jesus to come and destroy the works of the devil. I can't do that. Okay? Uh, the, the whole world, the Bible says, the lost world, lies in the embrace of the wicked one. It's like everybody's just snuggled up with the God of this world and they don't really realize it. It does not mean that everybody's demon-possessed. It doesn't mean that everybody's a Satanist. Or, you know what I mean? Or, or vile uh, just things just spewing out of their mouth or something like we would picture some, something demonic. It does mean that everybody in this world is subject to the God of this world. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, before they were saved, he says, we were by nature the children of wrath, and, and we followed the course of this world and the God of this world. We were subject to that. And so Satan has a power. It's limited in, in uh, duration. In other words, it's going to end at some point. It's limited in its extent. He, the devil can go so far. We saw that with Job's life, right? And here's a man that did fear God and walk with God. But, but the Lord gave Satan a measure of authority over Job's life. He measured it, though. He stopped it. So the whole world lies in the grace of the wicked one. And, and uh, Jesus came to, to destroy by tasting death. How did you do it, Jesus? How did you destroy the works of the devil? By dying on the cross. For the sins of the world. By coming that final, becoming that final sacrifice, not of bulls and goats, but a real body that the Father prepared for himself. God himself providing himself a lamb, the scripture says. He provided it and then he performed it on the cross. And then when it was all done, he accepted it. It was all of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. We just have to put our faith in him and believe that what he did was for us, that it was sufficient, that he is God and so forth, and Jesus is the Savior of the world, and there's no other. But he, he, he did it all from start to finish. And then when it was all finished, he says, I accept what my son did. And that blood was applied to the mercy seat. That is the blood that pleads for us. We were singing about his blood speaks a better word, right? And this is Hebrews. I mean, that's a Hebrews kind of song right there that we're, we're learning about. So Jesus accomplished that for us. And what it says to destroy, it means to render entirely useless. 
entirely useless. It doesn't mean to annihilate, okay? Annihilation, we think of something that's just, it's destroyed to the point where it doesn't exist anymore. It's just literally gone. Like, I think it's the seventh day, not seventh day, the, uh, is it the seventh day of Venice? Or the, which one believes that your soul has just annihilated it? Death? Jehovah's Witness? Okay. That, uh, that really, you just literally, if you didn't know the Lord under that religion, they believe that you just cease to be. You're just gone. So there's no real hell or torment or suffering. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. And here, that is not the word that's being used when it says destroy. When he says he's destroying the works of the devil, it means to render them useless, render him uh, completely or entirely useless, to put away, uh, to bring bring to nothing. That's some of the words that are spoken there uh, and the meaning of that. And so, just again, it's, it's important that we understand Jesus says, and you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 10, when the, that was the first time he sent his disciples out, you know, for like a little trial run. He says, I'm, I'm going to send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and don't take any extra money, don't take two coats, and wherever you stay, just abide there, freely receive, freely give. And he says, I'll tell you, he goes, don't fear him who could destroy the body, but not the soul. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And that is not the devil, that's the Lord, okay? Satan does not have that power. Satan, at some one point, at the end of the tribulation, He's going to be cast into the lake of fire, and he's going to be tormented. He's not going to be the king of hell or the king of the lake of fire. He's limited, and he's going to be judged as well. And all those angels that, you know, rebelled alongside of him are going to be. So we're to fear God. He has rendered, he has rendered the, the power of Satan, uh, he's rendered it useless in our lives. But it hasn't totally been realized, if you know what I mean. In other words, Satan's days are numbered, and God has has given him like this death blow, but he's not totally been put to that place yet. It's going to come in God's order. And so I could still, that's why it says in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe, or 5, give no place to the devil. And he's saying that to believers, because you and I still could give some place to him. Have you ever as a Christian given place to, to the devil? I have. Whether it's it's a worry or whether it's going to bed angry at your spouse, you know, you're just mad and you turn this way and she turns that way to the wall and you go to sleep and you know you shouldn't do it and you're giving place to the devil and you're just, you're doing it. And uh, But he's still real. He does have an, a, a measure of power and authority but he's already been on the cross. He was delivered that death blow. He just hasn't totally been put to that place yet where he's going to be put. So we understand that. He's not going to rise up. It's not going to turn out to be some way different than the Bible says where Satan ends up winning. And, you know, it's not like that. It says, the Bible says he knows his days are numbered and he, he knows it as well. So let's just finish up this, uh, this last part uh, of Hebrews chapter 2. Right, so that he might, uh, in verse 15, deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus says in Romans 8, he that commits sin is a servant of sin. There's a bondage there. It's not just, oh, I've sinned and I've done a few bad things. I'd sure like to quit. You know, 
we think of somebody in bondage to, say, drug addiction or something like that. It's a terrible bondage. But we're in bondage to sin. The whole thing. The whole thing. And we cannot set ourselves free from it. A lost person can quit smoking. You know, it might be very hard, but they can do it. It's happened before. A lost person can quit drinking. It happens. It's hard, but they can quit doing it. But they can't set themselves free from sin. Jesus came to destroy by his death on the cross. He destroyed the works of the devil and is able to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The last enemy to be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. The wages of sin is death. So when our sins are forgiven, the death sentence is lifted from off of our lives. He came to give life. The only reason we're dying, and Adam and Eve set that all in motion when they sinned. Our forefathers, they introduced death. They said that sin entered the world by one man and death by sin. The key to it all is sin. That sin problem has to be dealt with. Jesus knew the way to do it. It was to go to the cross. He finished it. And it says, for verily, again, it's just talking about his humanity. We'll finish the chapter. Verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So not only did he take on the uh, human form, because he's dying for human beings. He's dying to redeem mankind from sin, right? Man's the one that sinned. Man is the one that needs to be redeemed from sin. So he didn't take on the nature of angels. He took on him the seed of Abraham. Not only mankind, but Jewish man. And honestly, y'all, it's important that we realize that too. He wasn't a Syrian. He wasn't an Egyptian. You know, he wasn't American. He was a Jew in his earthly sense. You can trace his ancestry. Look at the Gospels in Matthew and Luke. We trace it all the way back to Abraham. And you look in your Bibles in Genesis, and you can trace from Abraham all the way back to Adam, to God. All right? It's an awesome thing. It really, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to let myself get bored in reading, as I've said before, the, the, uh, the accounts of, you know, who begat who and begat who, you know, the genealogies. I want to read it, and I want to read it because, it, if nothing else, it's there. The fact that it's there is very significant because there's not another Bible, so to speak, or another religious book or history of any kind of man or mankind or country or anything else that has anything like it. Just the fact that it's there. You know, and Enoch lived this many days and he was translated. He begat this son and he lived this many years after he begat that son. Just the fact that it's there. And you can literally trace it all the way to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Mary. On both their sides, Mary and Joseph, both their sides, traced through through uh, David the king and through Abraham. It's an amazing thing. It really is. If I ask you all right now, who's your great-great-grandfather? Probably most of us couldn't name who that is on either side. I mean, maybe you could. I mean, we could do the little family tree research, but it's here. And he, salvation is of the Jews. And when Jesus came... If salvation is first to the Jews, and you read through the book of Acts, right? Paul's, um, and, and, you know, the apostles, they went out. It started in Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. Even Jesus in his own earthly ministry first brought it to the Jews. And there was that, uh, that Gentile woman that said, my, my daughter's demon-possessed, can't you heal her? And he says, it's not right to give the, the food of the, 
of the children and give it to dogs or something like that. It's kind of like an insult and almost, and the woman says, true, Lord, but, but the, the dogs can eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Eve says, well, you know, because of your faith, your daughter's going to be healed. But, but the, the fact was that it was, there was an order. God's a God of order. He's of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. And it was first brought to be the Jewish Messiah. They rejected him. And at the end of the book of Acts, if you read it, it says, um, Paul says, seeing that you Jews count yourselves unworthy of the eternal life God wants to give you, and you reject Jesus Christ, lo, we turn to the Gentiles, and they will hear. And they're going to be excited about it. And the Gentiles are like all excited. Yay, he's going to bring it to us. And they brought the, uh, the, the message of salvation to the Gentiles. But that's when he says he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him. That simply means it was fitting of him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to help those of them that are tempted. And I want to just close with this thought. Again, it's, it's, uh, he's so identified with us, y'all. The fact that the Lord wants to identify himself with sinful man is, is a great blessing. Amen. A privilege for us that he does, that he's not ashamed to be called our God. He knew what he was doing. Salvation is of the Lord. It said in chapter 1, it's, uh, or the beginning of chapter 2, so great salvation, and it really is when we think about it. And when it says that he was tempted, uh, don't, don't be of the mindset thinking that Jesus was tempted with, like, homosexuality or he was tempted with, you know, uh, lust or tempted with stealing. I believe, and everybody that I've studied, you know, believes that it was more of a temptation like uh, he was tested, he was tried in his humanity in First John where it says all, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are not of the world and those things are going to pass away. Jesus was tempted in those three areas. Even if you look about his, his temptation in the wilderness, you know, turn these stones to bread. That would be meeting a physical need. He was hungry and, and he didn't give in to it. He used the word of God and said, no, I'm going I'm to wait on my father. He's going to take care of me. And then he's brought up to the, uh, the temple, the t point of the temple, throw yourself off. It's written, God will protect you. But in all three areas, I would say in the big areas, the types of temptations, he was tempted. But I, I think, and there'd be some, over the last 25 years, there's been, have been some perverted, ungodly movies that have been made, The Last Temptation of Christ, and just different movies that have portrayed Jesus as being like, uh, just eaten up with temptations like a man would be. And I don't at all believe that the Bible teaches that. He became a man. Like I said, he was hurt. When he was hurt, his body would hurt. When he was hungry, he was hungry. He had all these things offered to him by the devil, and he rejected him. He rejected them. And, and uh, I think believe he was tempted in those, those ways. But he was never tempted in the senses of, of like we would I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's taught at all. But uh, I'm just going to close with that right now that 
The Bible says the God of this, Jesus said, the God, the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. There was no, no strongholds that Satan had in Jesus' life at all. He was perfect, harmless, holy, undefiled. Everything that's describing him was that way. And that's the Lord that we serve. So I'm just going to close this in prayer tonight, y'all. Father, we just come before you tonight, God. And we thank you for your word, God. And we thank you for so great salvation, so great a Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're very thankful that you don't just save us, but keep us at arm's length. But you welcome us as the sons and daughters of God. You make us part of your family and join us with Jesus, God. I thank you that this is the way that you chose to save us, God, through you suffering on the cross, for you dying for our sins, and giving us your Holy Spirit to live in us, washing us in your blood, making us clean and new. And Lord, I thank you for that, God. I thank you for setting us free from the bondage of sin and from the fear of sin and death and hell and that future that was nothing would be nothing but torment, Lord God, that you've delivered us from that. And you've given us a living hope like Peter talks about. I thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, every word that was spoken, every word that we read tonight, God, would you take it and just knit it to our hearts. Let it be part of us, God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against the day and said. Let us hang on to it. Let, use it to make us more like Jesus. Use it to strengthen our faith, God. Use it to give us hope and joy and to build us up, God. And let us be able, in turn, to, to teach others, teach our children, to teach ourselves, teach our spouses to witness, Lord, to note your word and be filled with your spirit, God, and walk in accordance to your word, God. Bless this night. Bless this time at the altar that we have tonight, God. Would you be kind and meet with us tonight, Lord? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.